want you to imagine the acknowledged and worshipped ruler of all universes. Known in all of creation that he created as the Messiah or the anointed one, the Christ. He's called the Word and is credited with creation along with the Father and the Holy Spirit as Trinity. He's adored in heaven, loved and praised. What would cause this person to become like us? Because none of the things that I just said described us, do they? Why would he become like us? In fact, he chose to take on a human name, the name of Jesus. That's not a spiritual, magical name. A lot of people are named Jesus. Did you know that? His name is the Messiah, the Christ. He takes on human flesh. He takes on human nature. He takes on the frailties and the imperfections of what it means to be human. Why would he do that? When he has a reserved place already in heaven at that time, seated high above all angelic beings, having created a universe and just one little planet in that universe called Earth, where that even the rocks praise him. Why would he pick humans and choose to become like them? Susceptible to all of the things that they're susceptible to. Experiencing all of the hardships and the tragedies and the grief and the pain that these humans would bear. Why would he become like us? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 says, So Jesus helps Abraham's descendants rather than helping angels. Picks us over angels. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters. Now he identifies as brother and sister. So that he could be merciful. He became like them. So that he could serve as a faithful chief priest. In God's presence. And make peace with God for their sins. Because Jesus experienced temptation when he suffered, he's able to help others when they're tempted. Now, why did he become like us? Because he had to. These verses explain why. He did this in order to bring us to God. And when I say God, I am talking about the Godhead. I'm not just talking about 
one person of the Trinity, but the substance of God in order to bring humankind into the presence and the substance of Almighty God in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, became the Son, became the human, and became like us. In the next few minutes, I'm going to show you four ways from these verses of Scripture that he became like us and why. Get your pen. Flip over your bulletin. Write in the margin of your Bible. But Jesus became like us so that, number one, he could be merciful to us. Because as God, now he was God already, wasn't he? As God, he already knew everything. He already knew what it would be like, even though he had never been a human. He already knew what it would be like for you to be one. He already knew what your life was going to be like with all the goods, the bads, the ups and downs and everything in between. He already knew all of that. But knowing that wasn't enough. He became like us so that he could go beyond knowing and he could take on a, a, a an area in his life that he otherwise would not be able to understand. He took on the ability to feel what we feel so that it could go from his head to his heart so that it could get from the knowledge to the feeling. He became like us so that in feeling like we feel, he would know how to be merciful to us. It's one thing when you appeal to someone based on their knowledge. It's something entirely different when you appeal to them based on their feelings of empathy and compassion. I'd much rather go to someone when I'm in need that understands and has been where I've been than someone that's read about it. Or took a class. I happened to walk up on an interesting conversation in the parking lot last week. Right out there between Brad and Tim. It didn't take me but about two sentences. And I was already ten feet away before I could hear their voices. But I immediately was able to join in the conversation. Because I knew they were talking about kidney stones. Everybody in the room has had kidney stones say, oh, Lord Jesus. Whoo. Mine lasted 102 hours before I gave birth. 102 hours. I'd heard a lot of people talk about kidney stones. They said it was one of the most painful things a person could have. They equated it to a woman in childbirth, in childbirthing. I'd always thought to myself, man, I would hate to have that. And then I did. And I'll tell you something. I hate it a lot more now than I did before. I hate it to the point now that I'm careful about what I eat. It changes behavior when you're able to feel rather than just know. 
the mercy of a God for humans, it was not enough for him to sit in that place with all of the knowledge knowing. But when he got here and he looked at this place that he had created after a couple thousand years of the enemy's influence and the perversion of mankind and said, wow, this might be worse than what we thought. How badly do these people need us? In fact, as soon as he was able to realize where he was at and what was going on at some point in his life, he went from the knowing to the feeling. We might have had discussions. We had us a plan. I'm telling you, on the night that he was betrayed... On the night that he was beaten in the place I've seen where they think he spent the night before crucifixion. And on the cross, it took his feeling to a whole new level beyond knowing. I'm thankful to know that the mercy of our God is based upon his ability to feel not just to know what's going on in my life. He had to become like us so that he could feel what we go through. When I pray, I'm confident now that he he not only hears me, but that he genuinely feels compassion for me since he can relate to the pain and the griefs and the struggles that I'm enduring. Aren't you? Why did he leave that to become like us? Oh, it wasn't so he'd have bragging rights when he got back. It was so he could feel what you feel, not just know what he knew. Goes on and said it was so that he could serve as our priest. And it's described here. I want you to notice the description. He is described as our faithful chief priest. You know what that means? We're talking about why he chose to become like us. Faithful means trustworthy. Have you ever confided in someone that wasn't? And how we wish that you had not. Whenever you heard that news that was so hurtful to you and you had finally been vulnerable to share that with someone else and then you hear it coming back from somewhere else and you say, I'll never trust anybody again as long as I live. It hurts too bad. Huh? So Jesus here is described as being trustworthy. It means it's a closed vault. The prayer closet with Jesus is kind of like celebrate recovery. It's a safe place. What you hear here, who you see here stays here. Somebody say here, here. With Jesus, that's how it works. Because he is a faithful, a trustworthy high priest. High means that he is the chief. He is the highest level. And do you know what priest there means? You might be shocked by this. Priest there doesn't mean guy with the robes. Priest means go-between. Makes sense. He became like us so that he could be the highest ranking level of understanding on level with God. A trustworthy go between us and the Father. 
How safe are my thoughts and my prayers with him? If anybody was going to throw rocks, he would be the only one qualified. And he chooses not to, which means that no one else that throws rocks at you has the right to throw them. So don't worry about it when they do. He chooses to become like us so that he can identify with us, not just so he can feel what we feel, but so that he can be the go-between because we're just not worthy to stand in the presence of God. But he who was God came, became man, goes back and what? Sits down at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for you. He who is the most qualified of all created beings, which is not even created, for he is the creator, sits at a place of the highest exaltation, not judging, but forgiving and loving and interceding for you. He is your go-between. Couldn't have done that if he had not first identified with us. Thirdly, he did this, you could look at it for yourself. He, he did this so he could make peace for us. So he could make peace for us. Now I want you to understand something about that. I want you to hear something here. He's making peace with God for my sins. Because he don't have any. What would you do if you had an audience with God? An opportunity to represent somebody. Who would you represent? I'm going to try to get some good things in about myself. Huh? Wouldn't you? I got this shot at God. I'm going to try to get in a few good words about myself. Well, God, I've been doing the best I can. And Jesus is choosing. He said, Father, we don't need to talk about me. We don't need to talk about my sacrifice. We don't need to talk about how I'm going to resurrect my children. We don't need to talk about how I'm going to be the light that lights the city. We don't need to talk about how that I'm going to be the healing for them throughout the eternity, throughout the ages. What we need to talk about right now is the fact that they're sorry. Forgive them. I want you to understand something about this Jesus of yours. There's nobody like him. Nobody thinks like this. Nobody acts like this. Nobody cares like this. But he leaves all of that to become like us and then go back and act like himself again. Not to go back and act like us. Hmm. He who is without sin is not ashamed of me who does sin. And he makes peace with God for me. In fact, he desperately, God desperately loves me so much. And how he yearns to be able to, to look upon me and to embrace me and to help me with all of the things that I'm going through. But I want you to notice how that he's able to do it because the father can't look at you like you are. He said, but he loves me. He died for me. It's true. 
You want me to tell you how Jesus makes peace for you with God? He covers you by his blood so that when the father looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus and says, I can get with that. That's righteousness. That's holiness. That's godliness. That's goodness. That's righteousness there. I can't bear to look at old Darren when he's not covered in the blood. But when he's soaked in the blood, I like what I see. And that is how he's making peace for us. Telemachus tried to make peace. The story is found in Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was another historian, I think his name was Theoret, who also told this story about Telemachus. And the story goes something like this. Rome was celebrating its temporary victory over Alaric the Goth, and they were doing it in their normal, usual way by bringing gladiators into the Colosseum and having them fight to the death. And so in the midst of this blood-soaked streak sport, all of a sudden, there is a man up in the bleachers, a humble man, looks like a hermit, dressed in humble clothing, and he jumps over the side of the Colosseum and lands in the sand and immediately rushes in between these two that have squared off that are about to try to kill one another. And he pushes them apart. Begins to reprove them for shedding innocent blood. And then he turns to the thousands of the angry spectators and he says, do not repay God's mercy in turning away the swords of your enemies by murdering each other. The historian said at that point that the angry crowd just began to scream and shout and try to drown out his voice, saying things like, this is no place for preaching. On with the combat. And so the gladiators pushed him aside and they squared off again. And we're going to continue their battle and He again jumped in between them and now this time they're angry at his interference and they run him through with their swords. In fact, some of the people that saw the story said that there were even some spectators who at this point begin to throw rocks at Telemachus on top of the stabbing. And this saintly man fell to the sand and he died in front of that crowd. They're, as a whole, shocked by the death of this holy man, but turned out that his death had not been in vain because from that day on, no more gladiators ever went into the Colosseum to fight. That was the last time. And he gave his life and it had a a massive effect And it's the kind of story that we can kind of relate to, though none of us have ever been in that type of situation. We see the courage of this man, the resolution of an individual who would be so adamant about a purpose that he would give his life for it. And we empathize with 
him in the losing of his life to make this happen. And we think, wow, what a hero. Look at how society as a whole was changed by this man. And so I would point you then from that story to Jesus. Whose trial, abuse and crucifixion caused what Telemachus went through to pale in comparison. And though Telemachus was able to do something that changed the minds of thousands of people, Jesus did something that changed the direction of millions and millions and billions of souls who were damned, headed to the destruction, headed to a place without the presence of God, a place of torture and torment. Jesus became like us so that we would not ever have to know the depths We'll never see hell. You say, well, neither did Jesus. Oh, yes, he did. How do you think he got the keys of death, hell, and the grave? That was the first trip he took after he died. And the fourth reason that he became like us was so that he could help us when we're tempted. And I want you to notice something. Are you still with me? I want you to notice something about the word tempted because it doesn't just mean what you think it means. In fact, the word tempted here takes on lots of meanings and I'm sure you're going to identify with one or maybe several of these definitions. The word here in its context means to be tested, scrutinized, enticed, disciplined, examined, or proven. It's not what I thought tempted was. I thought tempted was that I'm supposed to turn my eyes and run away when, when I'm confronted with. That was only one of those definitions. Some of those definitions have to do with. The discipline. The examination. The proving. The scrutinizing that you're going through. Now, how is it that Jesus is able to help us when we're tempted? Because he experienced temptation, excruciating temptation, more than any of us will ever endure. He suffered when he was tempted. He suffered when he was tempted. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of us go through temptations, and it's, and it's, a, it's a struggle for us to, to overcome those things. But think back to the story of the temptation of Christ. The time that he spent in the wilderness... How long was it? 40 days. One of those temptations was the enemy trying to get him to turn a rock into bread. Why would he do that? Has anybody ever went 40 days without eating? You eat a rock. You eat a rock. Especially if you was God and had the ability to turn it into bread. Oh, yeah, you, you, you could do that. You could get you some honey while you're in the middle of it. Strawberry jam. Well, I don't want to get you all going now. 
we look at the story and we think to ourselves that Jesus was tempted three times because what's related to us are three occurrences in that story. But that's not what it says. It says that he was tempted for 40 days. And you just got to hear of three of those instances. But he who was hungry and thirsty and tired, emotionally spent, he is exhausted. And has been the, 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 the victim of severe temptation in all of the forms that we read, the testing, the scrutination, the enticement, the, the discipline, examination, the, the proving ground, all of these things are going on for 40 days, yet he does not sin. He remains true. If he passed those tests, he can very well understand our tests. He can understand our suffering, regardless of what our suffering looks like. And some of you say, well, he didn't understand a lot of things. You know, Jesus was never married and he didn't have children. He didn't understand what it meant to lose somebody very special to him. Well, the historians believe that his daddy died when he was just a little kid because we don't have any record of Joseph on later on in his life. So Jesus, he, he experienced the death of a first cousin. We know that for sure and how he responded to that. We know that he experienced all of the trials and the, and the grief and the hard things that we experience. I read a story not too long ago about an occurrence when they were when they were constructing the Union Pacific or the, yeah the Union Pacific Railroad, and there was one particular trestle bridge it was an elaborate bridge that was built across a large canyon in the west. The builder wanted to test the strength of the bridge, and so. He loaded the train with enough extra cars and equipment to double its normal payload. He put double the amount of weight on the bridge as what they expected the bridge would ever need to handle. And he left that weight on that bridge for a whole day. One day, one of the, wor or that, one of the workers that day, he asked him the question. He said, are you trying to break the bridge? And the builder said, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. In the same way that the temptations Jesus faced weren't designed to see if he would sin, they were designed to prove that he could not. And the same person who passed all these tests now stands ready to help us in all of our times of temptation. That's why he became like us. And when I... Think of all these things that these verses mean. I back up and I close my eyes and I throw my head up and I look to heaven and I say, Jesus, you must really love us. I wouldn't do that. Especially for a bunch of folks that I know are going to reject me. I wouldn't do that. To leave everything that was and endure this life and the shame and everything that, 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 that was associated with that. And then to make it as his mission between now and the rapture that he will spend his time 
being merciful, serving as my priest, making peace with God for my sins, and helping me when I'm tempted. He did all that to make sure that I would make it home safely. That's why he became like us. How much does he deserve to be praised? How much does he deserve to be loved? You're hit in this room. You're thinking, well, I have a lot of problems. I have a lot of sin in my life. I have a lot of struggles. I got a lot of things going on in my head. I'm doing, dealing with a lot of things. I got a lot of people that have angered me. I've got a lot of hurts. I've been through a lot of struggles. I've been through a lot of abuse. I've been through all, all kinds of things. And I just can't get over it. I, I just can't get past this. I can't understand how a God in heaven would let all this kind of stuff happen. I can't understand how people that I'm supposed to be able to trust and love could do these kind of things to me. I just am not going to be able to do anything productive with my life because I'm just going to sit around and whine and worry and waste it. And Jesus says, it is a waste because I've taken care of all that. I have for you a peace that passes all human understanding. I have a joy for you that is never too full and never empty. That humans can't fathom. I have success lined up for you. I have vision and ministry for you to do. I have purpose for your life that you could never know. You'll never know until you just turn loose and trust me. I became like you so that you could trust me. I know how you feel. I know how you think. I know where you are. I know what's going on in your life. I became like you. So that you can trust in me. And I'll take care of you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Without going any further, how many people in this room would lift their hand and say, wow, this message is for me. Just throw it up in the air. This is a message. This is a word for me. Put your hands up in the air. I don't care what the reason is, whether it's because you need to make Christ your savior or whether it's because you just need to ask Tim for, to forgive you for some kind of thing that's going on in your life or, or if it's that you're just hurt and you're having a hard time getting over it or, or if it's just basically because you've received fresh understanding on, on the word. Whatever the case might be, I want you to put your hand in there if you say, this is my word today. This is my word today. And now with that, keep it up. And now with that hand in the air, I ask the Holy Spirit, who is so faithful, who is so compassionate, so kind, and always ready. He's always ready to minister when he is asked. To all of those who will receive and all of those of you who are sincere, I ask the Holy Spirit right now, would you come down, Holy Spirit, and would you touch my friends? Let them sense that peace, that joy, that health, that strength that help would you begin to pour Holy Spirit would you begin to pour into them would you make your word this morning come so alive in their heart 
would you cause their soul to take charge of their brain? And that their soul would say, I demand that we trust this Christ. I don't care how the body feels or how the mind thinks. As the soul, I demand that this vessel is going to trust Christ. Is going to follow Jesus. Is going to live for Him. If He could do what He did and become like me, then I can follow Him. And I will. At all cost, I will. In this room now, God, for every repentant person, would you let them sense that their sins are covered by your blood, by their simple repentance that is heartfelt and sincere. Right now, let them, let them know in their soul of their forgiveness. Fill your people with your spirit today. Some in this room need to be baptized with your Holy Spirit. They need to be filled with the Spirit so they can walk in the power of the Spirit and do the works of the book of Acts. I speak health and help and comfort and peace in this room. I wasn't necessarily going to do this, but I feel like I should. There's someone that that really needs the opportunity to come to the altar. It's just they're sitting there saying, if he gives me the chance, I'll go, Lord, because I I just want to pour out my soul to you on my knees. I I, I want to get on my knees and I want to cry out to you. If that's you, come on, come on. We're going to wait on you. Whoever there may be several that feel that way, but I couldn't I couldn't dismiss us. If that's you, come on. These altars are open. These guys are going to lead us in a song. While they do, I want, I want you just to come and find your, your place. Get down on your knees. Just pour your heart out to the Lord. and Tell Him how much you love Him and tell Him how much you appreciate His Word today and what He's doing in your life. All over this room, this, is, this has become a, a house of prayer. We'll respect it that way. Would you join me all over now? You can either come and kneel or sit right where you're at or stand or however you feel led. But during this song, let's just pour out our heart to God.